Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. All right, I thought about entitling this message, How to Be Miserable in Church. But uh, I think I'll call it something else. But we will talk a little bit about that. How many of you know the last couple of years have been pretty crazy, right? In fact, I think we're still trying to discover what a new normal is. And when it comes to church life, it's been uh, pretty insane. We uh, did video church and Zoom groups for uh, way too long. We did all the social distancing, all that stuff um, for quite a while. And what I, what I found is that we have not gone back to normal. You feel that? In fact, things have changed quite drastically. And one of the things that happened in the last few years is that fear got into our faces like never before. Anybody? Like I remember I was an early adapter with COVID, one of the first to have it. And I remember being terrified because at the point that I had it early March uh, of 2020, 10% of people in Italy were dying with it. And so I was terrified. And the truth is so many of us had no idea what was coming. And then we had to make decisions on vaccine and all of those things. And then we found an increase of mistrust in the middle of all of that, right? And the difficulty was is that we were all trying to hold our lives together and trying to figure out how to survive in the midst of unprecedented confusion and chaos. And here's what comes with that that we often miss, is that in the middle of confusion and chaos, we move from thinking about other people and how to give and how to even focus on the future and leave a great legacy, we, we begin to shift into how do I survive? Anybody? And what happens is when we move into survival, we actually move into the more primitive part of our brain that does not think with complex and creative thoughts, and we begin to strive to survive. And as we do, we begin to think more and more about ourselves. You see, fear and survival have a way of making us self-centered. And what happens then, I was listening to a psychologist this week talk about one sure way to find somebody who is depressed is to find somebody who is always talking about themselves. Every statement is a me and I statement. There's not curiosity. There's not interaction. Instead, you're operating from a place of isolation. And the more you think about the, yourself, the more miserable you become. So you, you have all of that stuff going on. And then you throw onto that something that's been increasing for nearly 20 years now is our addiction to social media, right? And social media does instantaneously what relationships were designed to do, right? They give us a 
feeling of connection. In fact, what, what I've learned is that social media companies now hire psychologists in order to help them design their apps in order to get the right responses from you and from me. That little notification thing goes off on your phone, what's going on in your brain is that there's a dopamine release. That's as, it's similar to the reward of receiving a smile or a thank you or a good to see you. Increasing our selfishness and our isolation. And the, the problem with all of that is this, is that your life and my life were never intended to be about us. Are you with me? And you see how to be miserable in church. I'll give you, I'll give you the, the key. The way to be miserable in church is to make it about you. In fact, the way to be miserable in life is to make it all about you. But it's interesting in church, we tend to do that. And let me be very clear when I say the way to be miserable in church is to make it about you. I'm not saying that you should stay or should have stayed in some sort of spiritually abusive situation that is real, that you're being used and treated transactionally. That's not the point. And if you ever feel that in this place, come directly to me and we'll talk it through. I'm not saying you stay stuck in situations that are spiritually abusive and just demand that you give and never receive in return. But when our mentality is, I am going to get for me, you will always be let down and miserable. And the reason is, is that you were not created to be a consumer. Anybody else? Is that good? You were created to live and give from the overflow, to operate in symbiotic relationship that continues to give and receive. And when we begin to make life all about ourselves, we will always fall short of God's calling for us. And here's the truth about you, is that there is a particular grace from God a superpower that you have that we need. Yes. Parents, would you just lean over to your kids that are sitting next to you and say, you've got a superpower. <laughs> Parents, let me just talk to you for a second about what you just told your kids. When I talk about the idea of superpower, I'm not simply talking about a spiritual gift, though that's part of it and supports it. There is a call on your kid's life. They were designed for an incredible purpose. And, and they are, like the psalmist says, intended to be arrows from God that you would launch out into the world to do kingdom work. Your priority as a parent is not to make your kids happy or to be entertained. Your priority as a parent, is not even to make them like you, though I hope they do, and that that's the result. Your priority as a parent is to help your kid discover what their kingdom calling is and begin to live that out. To discover what 
They were created for the very grace from God on their lives to discover their superpower and step into that, that they would be resourced in everything that they need in order to do that. And when I say resourced, money is at the very bottom of that list. That they would have everything they need to live out the life that God has called them to. Because what you have been entrusted with is the treasure of heaven. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4, one of my very favorite passages. I have a bad habit of saying every passage I preach from is my favorite. But I think I mean it this time. So this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And he begins in in chapter 1 really telling us that we have everything in Jesus, that we lack nothing. Say that with me. I lack nothing. And then it begins to talk about us individually and God's grace on our lives, that he's actually saved us, that he's seated with us with him in heavenly places, and that he has created us in him to do good works, that he's laid out an event for us to do, that we don't have to come up with it on our own. Then he talks about racism and reconciling the whole church, that there is supposed to be no division in the church, but that we're all the resting place, the temple of God. And then he gets into... In Ephesians, at the end of three, I love this. One of the best prayers in scripture is talking about knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. I don't know how you know something that surpasses knowledge. Um, I suppose it has to be experienced. And then it talks about the way that the body works. Let me jump right in. Ephesians 4.1, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Tell your neighbor you're called. Now tell yourself, I'm called. What Paul is saying here is he's saying that there is a specific grace, a specific calling on your life. That nobody else has that and you have the responsibility, it's on you to to learn how to live a life that's worthy of the calling that you've received. That word calling there in the Latin is the word vocation. You see, we have a bad habit in the church of living a segmented life. We consider some things secular and some things sacred, but from heaven's point of view, it's all sacred. Whether you're a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, you have a call from God that is intended by God to bless him and advance his kingdom. And you would do well to learn and discover what that call is, what that superpower is. I think the the French would use this phrase, je ne sais quoi. Say that with me. Je ne sais quoi. And what that means is, Literally, I don't know what. But what it means culturally to them is there is something about you. I don't know what it is. I can't quite put my finger on it. But you have an effect on the world in such a way that only you do. But the only way you live out or live in your je ne sais quoi is that you take seriously the fact that there's a call from God on your life. 
Like you're not going to stumble into that. You're not going accident, to accidentally get there. But that, in fact, there is something about you and the way that you live you that we need. Like Shay, everything she does is with such intentionality and care. She notices every detail. And she like goes above and beyond when she serves, when she like just in whatever she does. And she's got a, a certain way. It's way bigger than I've experienced. But there's something about the way she lives her life that adds flavor to the rest of us. Right? Anybody else know Shay? Can you agree with me? Well, there you, I, was, I was setting you up. <laughs> so... The truth is, all of us have a specific way that we embody who God is and that we reflect him to the world around us. One of the great mistakes we can make is trying to be somebody else. One of the great mistakes we can make is trying to be somebody else. You see, the truth is, all of us hate people who are frauds, right? Who... who it's like, I know that that's not really you. I'm interacting with some sort of facade of you that you think that I need you to be in order for me to like you and not reject you, but I can sense that there's no depth or dimension here because that's not really you. Yeah. And what we're longing for is real connection, and I can never have real connection with the fake you. And if, I'm, if you and I are willing to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I'm willing to be seen as an awkward mess. I'm willing to be seen at my very worst because I actually want to be connected. And I want to offer me. And I want to give myself. And so I believe part of the call of the church is if, if you and I have a kingdom calling, a calling that we're supposed to live worthy of, then we have to live with authentic relationship. And we have to, you can put it on replay. <laughs> and we have to create a space for people to connect and have real family, maybe in the way that they've never experienced family before, so that they can become the them that God has always called and created and intended them to be. And I think we can't, do church any longer in a way that we all put on our religious smiley faces and say, everything's okay, brother. But instead, what, what we need and what the world is dying for is, in fact, for the church to be real, just as the world is dying for individuals to be real. So to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received He goes on to say, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. It's interesting that he goes from individual calling to love. You see, what we want to do when we talk about calling and self-realization and all of that stuff, we tend to make it all about us. But what Paul is getting is that the connection of you discovering all that you're meant to be is for the sake of love. It's for the sake of us. 
And any bit of self-centered, self-discovery, self-growth that does not lead you into being a better person to the family of God and living full of love falls short of what it should be. Amen. I thought that was really good. Yeah, Joel, that was great. I need you to agree for you, not for me. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. You could preach for like weeks on that in our day and age. How many of you know being right is not the goal? And I'm not saying, oh, we just give everybody their own version of the truth. That doesn't work. That's not truth. That's perspective. But none of us have arrived and have it all together. And our ability to love is the key to us growing and growing together. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Wow. That's rich. Let me just say this real quick. I'm going to chase a rabbit that I don't have time to chase, so I better kill it really fast. We talk about what a mess the church is in because there's like 50,000 denominations or something like that. And some of that may be true and some of it may be the result of division. But we don't talk about what a mess the world is in because we have 100,000 or a million last names. Are you tracking with me? So what I'm saying is this, is that if the church is family, it's okay that we're Sozo Church here and that the Episcopalians are meeting right there. And it doesn't mean that because we have a different family name that we're actually divided. Are you with me? So we could rethink how we do that and just say, okay, God's building a particular family here. And it doesn't mean that we're divided from that family or that we hate them. The problem is, is that we've built so much of our church identity on the Reformation ideas of theology that we no longer unite in love. Instead, we divide in theology. And we've made theology more important than love. And you can't get anywhere near that in Scripture. And so it's okay that they're different from us, that they worship differently, that they dress differently, that they have different practices. All of that stuff is fine because you know what? There's not a family that's like mine and there's not one that's like yours. And we all need each other to live the way that we're called and created to live and express Jesus in that specific way. So just because we're different doesn't mean we're divided. Verse seven, we talked about this for a second last week. It says, but to each one of us has, uh, each one of us grace, say grace, grace, has been given as Christ apportioned it. And what I discovered as I dove into this passage probably six or seven years ago for weeks and weeks on end, what I discovered is this. When it says to each one of us, it means to each and every one of us. Here's what that means is that everybody gets to play in the family of God. Nobody is left out. Nobody's picked second. Everybody is involved and everybody has a, pot, a spot to play. What that means is that you're needed. And one of, the, one of the problems that I think we have continued is that we have created hierarchy in the church. 
And let me say this, there is order, but there is not rank. Right? So because I'm preaching this morning does not mean that I am any more important than you in the kingdom and in the family of God. It's just the order that God is working things out, but it doesn't mean that I outrank you. Are you with me? And see, what we've done is that when Jesus tore the veil that separated the Holy of Holies, separated the world from the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, it seems like in the church we've decided that we were going to sew it back up and create special holy people, and then there's everybody else, and that's not the heart of God. So to each and every one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That word apportioned, the best way I can say it is that there is custom-made grace on your life. That's your superpower. That's your je ne sais quoi. It's not simply about uh, spiritual gifting. It's about the way that you express Jesus. And there is grace, the empowering presence of God on your life for you to live that out. And when you begin to live that out, it's what we talked about last week, it's that flow from heaven created for you to express God. And you'll find that you living the best version of you will be a blessing to everybody else. And there's actually an ease in the middle of that flow that you will not find trying to be somebody else or live somebody else's calling. The next two verses is in parentheses, so we're going to skip it. It matters, but not for what I'm saying. Verse 11, so Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. We'll come back to that. To equip, say to equip. That means to mend what is broken and supply what is lacking, to order what is disordered. To equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by the wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of, peace, of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, that's a whole nother sermon, we will grow. Some virgins say, grow up. Tell your neighbor, grow up. Thought about titling the sermon that. We may go back and change the title. We will grow up to be, to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament that grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 14 starts with then. Other translations say until. And here's what it's saying. It's saying that there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers that are given those graces given to the church until the body looks like Jesus. Now, some people would say, well, we don't really have those anymore. Maybe just uh, pastors and teachers, or maybe we can throw some evangelists in there. My problem with that is that we have not reached the until, because as I look around, I don't see a church that looks very mature. I think we're getting better. In many regards, I think we're more mature than we've ever been. But I, I don't know that we could say, hey, we don't need apostles and prophets or evangelists in order to mature. Let me give you some definition, and then I'm going to help you see that maybe you're one of those. 
if we think kingdom, then we're not just thinking church. The kingdom is the rule and reign of God anywhere and everywhere, anytime and all the time. And so we're supposed to be a kingdom people, not a church people. The church is the family of the kingdom, okay? And so we have to keep that in mind because if we think church, then we get all of those out of whack and we create a hierarchy that Jesus tore down with the veil. And so apostles, apostles, there's a difference, I would say, in some regards between the original 12 apostles plus Paul and all the other apostles mentioned in scripture. There's like 20 something altogether. Uh, Junior was one of them as a woman, another who is an apostle in church history, but not um, uh, in scripture was a lady named Fotina. And Fotina was the Samaritan woman at the well who led thousands of people to Jesus and was an apostle in North Africa. So women get to play too. Here's the role of an apostle. Apostles initiate kingdom movement and bring kingdom transformation. They are culture changers and they're guardians of the DNA. We need people like that in the kingdom. Apostles don't only exist in the church. They're part of the church, but they actually exist in the body. So you'll find them in business and education. They won't necessarily call themselves that. And if I'm able to convince you that you're one of these, the last thing you need to do is go get a business card printed calling yourself apostle so-and-so. Please don't do that. We're pretty light on church discipline around here, but that's enough reason to get us going. (laughs) So there's apostles, then there's prophets. And prophets, their role is to hear God and call the body to be faithful to the word of God and the covenant of God. Then there's evangelists. Evangelists, Natalie Ball got excited about that one, as an evangelist would. Evangelists, they recruit, they proclaim the good news, they help people experience the kingdom. Then there's pastors and pastors that they care for and protect the people of God. They lead them and help them get on the right course. They comfort them in difficult seasons. And then there's teachers and, and they unveil the mysteries of scripture and of heaven so that people can live them out in their daily life. And so you've got those five, but if you go back and get the context of those five, you'll get this. That word, hecosto, means to each and every one grace has been given. Then it talks about the five graces. So here's what I'd like to suggest to you. That there is grace on your life to live out one of those five. It doesn't mean that you need to go get a 501c3 and start a ministry. But it means that wherever God has placed you, there's grace for that. Here's what we see next. The reason those graces were given is to equip, which means that this, that you're either one of those five and you are one of those five, but in all of the other ones, you, you fit into the category that needs to be equipped. So you can't say, if you're going to mature, if you're going to grow up to be like Jesus, you can't say, well, I am not a pastor, so I don't have to care for people. All that means is that you're immature. And you can't say, 
I'm not a prophet, so I don't hear from God. All that means is that you haven't been equipped to hear from God. The other side of that is true, is that we need apostles and prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists equipping people in the grace that they carry. And that's where we need each other to be in community, because there's a way that you express Jesus that I need on my life so that I can grow up and become who he's called me to be, that I can look like Jesus. I've been hanging out with Kenny and Diane for probably 20 years now, and they have taught me what it looks like to hear the word of God and stay true to the word of God. And they've equipped a body of people to live with their ears to heaven. And it's not about our individual grace, but it's about their grace being activated in our body. Because what we find is that when we bring our grace, there's a release of communal grace that we all get. Are you with me? And so when I was struggling to hear God, I started hanging out with them. When I was struggling to evangelize, I didn't know how to do it. I could not share the gospel with somebody to save my life or theirs. I started hanging out with evangelists. And it marked my life and it matured me. In fact, people used to say to me, Joel, I bet you're an evangelist. I'm like, I don't know. I just hang out with them so that I can become like them. And so what we find in the context of community and why it's important for you to be in authentic relationship is because there's grace on your life that we all need. Now, most of us don't understand the grace on our life because we're just busy living our life, right? Like I I remember years ago going to a, a church and they had prophetic ministry and they gave me prophetic words that sounded like all my other prophetic words. But I was with two buddies, and we played the ones that we got. We had recorded them on our phones, and I realized they're not giving everybody the same prophetic words. They actually got very different prophetic words that fit their life. But the reason why the words I got sounded like all the other words I got is because they were actually true, and they were saying the same thing. But I didn't know that until I was in the context of community to understand that not everybody has the same grace on their life. There's something in you that the world needs. And it's probably not mature. That's why you're here. But let me say this. If you want to be miserable, show up here, sing a few songs, take a few notes, and go home. But if you want to grow up, then think, how can I give away whatever it is that I have? What if we came to church and we came to community group and we came to whatever else to work, to the dinner table, to lunch, and we thought, what would it look like for me to give first? What would it look like for me to go to church and think, how can I be a blessing this morning? I'm not speaking and I'm not leading worship. I'm not running a camera. I'm not greeting. I'm not watching kids. I'm not doing any of those things, but I can still be a blessing here. I love watching Keith because Keith lives that. I watched him just in worship come up to Jared, which Jared, it's good to have you back in the house. Love you, buddy. And just whisper something in his ear and pray for him for a second and go back because Keith realizes that if he shows up for him, he's going to be bored to tears in church because he's heard all of this and could preach it. But 
if he shows up to be a part of the family of God and think, how can I be a blessing, which it's all It's not all prophetic words. Sometimes it's an encouragement. Sometimes it's a hug. Sometimes it's an I see you. Sometimes it's a good job. But when we begin to live that way, then we build each other up so that we grow up and we look like Jesus. And so my encouragement to you, Chris is going to share. Chris, you can make your way on up here. My encouragement to you in this season of life is that you would say, you know what? I'm going to take seriously the call of God on my life. And I'm going to get around people that are going to help me grow up to be more like Jesus. And that may mean jumping in with a group of people that are totally different from me because I need the flavor they have that I don't. And it may mean jumping into a group that's a lot like me because I just need to grow in some other specific ways. But the point is, is that you need family, you need community, you need people who will sharpen you so that you can live a life worthy of the calling you've received.